This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. We are downtown Salem, Oregon, home to the Groundwork Leadership Institute in studio. Happy to be here. We have a great, great agenda today. We're going to be interviewing a member of the Arbinger Institute. Now, that's close to my heart because I used to work there, but uh, we have one of their representatives, one of their consultants that's going to join us today. We're going to dive into not just who Arbinger is and why they're so important to us here in the community, but how they're important to our curriculum that we have. And we're going to dive into a little bit about leadership and Desmond is his name, his experience with it. So I'll allow him to introduce himself but thank you again for joining and hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, Desmond, thank you for joining us today. You want to give yourself a quick introduction? Sure. Um, I am uh, Desmond Lomax. I am a uh, senior consultant and executive coach for the Arbinger Institute. Um, I am the co-director of the public safety practice, but I also do a lot of work in um, diversity and inclusion. And I've been working with Mick Warner on, on that and, and Sarah Spencer. By history, uh, 20 years uh, working in public safety. Um, I've worked from correctional officer to police officer, all the way up to being a therapist at the prison and creating programs to help uh, people stay out of prison, which was like the last three years, three to five years of my career. I was uh, kind of more, more in program management. Um, I have four kids, uh, one wife, been married for 23 years, uh, had a son recently passed away in November, uh, so um, I'm just learning to to navigate the challenges of that, and and uh, I love what I do. I love the the impact that I have on on others' lives and how that impacts me as well. So yeah. it's a big brief introduction. Brief introduction. Thanks, Desmond. I know when we spoke yesterday, you shared um, about your son. And I appreciate that. It's not easy to you can imagine. It's not easy to um, you know to to deal with that. So appreciate you sharing and. And thanks for that intro further. I didn't know, I didn't know, you know, most of your background was in public safety. Uh, you know, you joined Arbinger after I had left, so we had never been able to cross paths. But, you know, I worked there for several years and have been a, a longtime a fan of, of Arbinger and their, their material. So uh, we obviously have that really strong connection and Arbinger and the Outward Mindset curriculum is very close to me. So it's fun to to have you on. But I didn't know that you're your background was was in uh, public safety. My, as you're talking about cr- uh, correctional history, there, my my brother-in-law, he works at, I believe, the prison system down in St. George, and he's a clinical um, clinical social worker. So, huh. yeah, him and I have great discussions about the work that he does. So it's huh. it's heavy What's work. What's his name? His name. What's is, his name? His name is Jason Davy. Huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I've we crossed paths before. It's a small world. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, so when I was the director of community programming, I managed uh, therapists uh, across the state of Utah. Oh, okay. Um, and so we had we have two in St. George that work in Hurricane, right? Probably hand in hand with them. Okay. They, they do a lot. Of, they they exchange a lot of services, and so we have we have a great relationship um, down there with Washington County Sheriff's Office for sure. Okay, it's amazing. And and where did you mention where you live in Utah? Oh yeah, I live in uh, Spanish Fork, Utah. Spanish um, Fork, okay. Yeah, I yeah. grew up, I grew up in American Fork. Okay, <laughs> so okay, fantastic. People yeah. would uh, people would often get them confused when I tell them where I was from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they get the forks wrong. But no, it's it's a great place. Um, 
just close enough to the airport and, and working for Arvinger, I travel quite a bit, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, did you... I'm raising my children, children here and yeah, I've been here for 20 years That's in awesome. Spanish for. That's awesome. Did, did you ever get the, uh, the, when you tell people you're from Spanish Fork, did they ever say Spanish Fark? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I'll say Spanish Fark just because it's fun. <laughs> They're like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, "Spanish Fark," and then they start laughing because they're like, "Oh my goodness, you've yeah. been there for way too long." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." I, oh, yeah. I always got that when I'd say I'm from American Fork to be like, "Oh, American Fark," and I was like, "I, I never actually heard someone from American Fork say American Fark." <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was. I always thought that was funny that there was oh, this perception fantastic. of that's how it was pronounced. But we never, I never knew anybody that in there that actually pronounced it that way. And my mom, oh, my hilarious. mom, my mom's family had has lived there for I don't know a few couple generations. So um, they've been there for a long time. It's fantastic. Well, awesome. I I I'm I'm glad I know more about your role uh, at Arbinger. And you know, I knew you were a, a consultant there. I didn't know that you helped direct. Uh, the law enforcement or public safety practice. So um, that's fantastic. Yes. That's just a recent role. Um, uh, I, I primarily was hired. Uh, there was a, a major contract we picked up in New York city uh, uh, for public safety and corrections. And so I was initially hired to do that. And we had such great success and having great success with that organization that um, they decided to, to bring me on to continue to expand uh, the work. And, uh, it's it's fantastic. It's a, it's a great opportunity. You would, particularly with everything that's going on in society right yeah. now, right? And there's this need, right? Everyone's looking for answers. I've got sheriffs and chiefs of police and even private organizations calling me like, what do we do? Yeah. And how does Arbinger fit? And uh, it feels good to be in a place where you can say, hey, like, this is what we do. Like, this is where we fit. Like, we're going to address some of those underlying issues that helps heal communities um, and, and, and give some, some tools on how to do it, right? Some of the hands-on stuff that's lacking sometimes in, in instruction and things like this. We can talk about it like in the clouds and our hopes and dreams, but like, what does it look like when we're on the ground? And so we, we try to, we do, we do a good job in that with Arbinger. We have enough tools and, yeah, and the philosophy, the philosophy hits the ground. Well, awesome. I, I, uh, I think I was, still at Arbinger when they started to to have start that relationship with, with in New York so mm-hmm. um it was just starting to percolate um before I left and uh I you know I had a few clients in law enforcement that I would I would work with when I was there when I was there they they were a bit smaller um in fact after I grew I think they doubled in size <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, so I I spent a lot of time working with Jack and and chip with different clients that I had. So, um, different law enforcement entities throughout the country. And before, before, uh, I worked at Arbinger, I worked at this peace building center and right after, uh, the Ferguson shooting several years ago, we actually, due to some relationships we had at Arbinger at this peace building center, as well as the Kansas city police department and an organization called peace players international, which you're probably familiar with because they're partners with, with Arbinger, we actually spearheaded a, a pretty big project out there and, and did some some uh, community uh, grassroots work through sports. And in in a previous episode, episode five, I actually share a story about an experience that I had there um, that was really impactful to me. But uh, I, I was able to work on the ground with, with officers and, and their PAL unit and then 
you know, several hundred of the inner city uh, youth there. And we ran this sports clinic. It was, it was, it was a blast for me, a great experience. And, and since um, that initiative has been taken from by Nike and Nike is funding it all over the, the country in several different inner cities. So that was kind of fun to see how this small idea after an incident like that um, has, has grown. And I think our country and you, I, you know, better than I definitely needs more of it, more efforts like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, we're in the same business. I mean, the community, the community advocation and work you do um, is fantastic. And, and if I, I was just talking to an, an officer that works in Mobile, Alabama, and, and I'm sure you're aware of like the efforts in Mobile, Alabama, yeah. Arthur gave them an award last year. Yeah, I remember that. And, yeah. And he's talking about all the different things that they're doing. And, and it dawned on me, and we had this conversation. I'm like, it's hard to screw up. It is really hard to screw up when you have so many different partners in the community mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Right. Like you have all these different organizations using the same language, trying to solve these difficult dilemmas. I'm like, worst case scenario, you affect maybe a few people. Mm-hmm. Like that's the worst case scenario. Um, and so it's so impactful, like um, to see these experiences that you're talking about, to get into this grassroots effort where we're actually doing the work. It's, it's hard to screw it up at that level. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, outward mindset has been really important in our efforts from the beginning. Uh, we had a goal, you know, a few years ago to to turn the community outward. And um, that's kind of my history here. As I was sharing with you yesterday, They, you know, this this uh, this philanthropist up here they you know they brought me up here and with that goal turn the community outward it sounded kind of cliche at the beginning but now you know several thousand people have gone through an outward mindset training and that's just that's just kind of what's at the surface of what you can see but i mean several organizations are implementing it in pretty profound ways and it's informing all that they do but what i love to see and we call that a lot of soil work you know just kind of helping people become aligned and, and share the same mm-hmm. language, like you said. But now it's really fun when, really awesome to see when, when I'm at a community gathering, uh, you know, a, a commission meeting, uh, the Children and Families Commission or, or you know, another uh, executive leader committee meeting, you know, in the community. And they're, they're talking about outward mindset and having that inform um, everything that they do. In fact, last year, there was a, a, an initiative that was started in a couple of our high poverty neighborhoods um, surrounding some elementary schools. And we worked with the district in identifying those schools. And I mean, majority of the crime in our community is in those neighborhoods, majority of the poverty, and there's so many needs. And so we organized this effort. And the goal was, you know, some of the tangible outcomes we want to see happen were a reduction in, in foster care. Um, we wanted to see several different indicators in terms of families, you know, mental health and physical health um, change, crime we wanted to see, you know, reduced over there. And at this meeting, there was probably 300 people there. And the key guiding principle was outward mindset. It was before Mm -hmm. we do any of these things, the most important value that we have is working with an outward mindset. Uh, And for me, you know, that was, it was really fun to see that, to see a community latch on to it. Because when I worked at Arbinger, you know, it was organization to organization. And sometimes I would have clients that were in the same city. I think at one point 
I had like five or so clients in Denver and it's, it's not like they ever met up or connected at a community level, but they sure could have. And, you know, the things that they might be able to do just locally, um, pertaining to the utilization of the outward mindset material would, would be, you know, uh, fantastic. It's unknown. I mean, it's, there's such an open doorway there, but I don't, I want to, I don't want to go too far off on, on the tangent. Cause what I, you know, we talk a lot about outward mindset here in our, in our leadership Institute, we're doing a lot of outward mindset work in the community, but for any listeners that we might have that, that don't know what, uh, outward mindset is or who the Arbinger Institute is, you know, I wanted to really get somebody from that is with the Arbinger Institute right now to explain some of their history and what it is that they do and how they do it and a little bit about their curriculum so we can just refer people to, to listen to this if they want to know more about it. And although I could share much of that having spent a few years there, uh, and I think it's obviously better coming from someone like yourself. So before we jump into a little bit more about leadership, because I want to definitely learn and, and take away some insight from you uh, on that. Uh, could you tell us, I mean, just, just tell us what your experience with Arbinger as a company has been, you know, when you first came across them, what you've learned about them over the years as a, as an entity before we dive into their actual outward mindset content. Oh, for sure. Um, I was in an internship when I was getting my master's degree in, in uh, mental health counseling. And I was working for this organization. Um, it's called Telos. It's up in Orem. Fantastic organization to help youth, the residential treatment center that helps youth. And, you know, they're like, hey, Desmond, I want you to read this book, Leadership and Self-Deception, like as a part of your internship. So I'm like, great. And so you, you read it and midway through the book, you know, most people say, you're like, hey, wait a second. They're talking about me. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that age old dilemma, right? That problem of self-deception. Funny how where, so many people have that same story with that book. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, wait a second. Maybe I'm self-decepting myself. You know, you start realizing as you read this book that some of your most difficult issues have a, have a lot to do with how you see things. And if you are seeing things in a way in which you're in a box, right? It's hard to see things clearly when you're in a box. Yeah. And so it discusses this, this age-old problem of, of self-deception. And so, so that was my introduction. And, and I woke up the next morning. And, and I'm not, I read, and I'm a big self-help person. And I woke up the next morning with this impression like, my life is going to be different because I realized that I was at the source of a lot of the issues that I needed to heal in my life, which is terrifying and liberating all at the same time. And, um, and I go, wait, what else do you have? He goes, well, read anatomy of peace. So I read anatomy. That's of my peace favorite and, one. Uh, That's my favorite. Yes. Yes. Uh, because anatomy of peace really takes it to the, the part of what it means to have meaningful relationships, you know, which matters a lot more to us than mm-hmm. our work relationships. Our work relationships are nice and we want it. We want to be successful and we want to, and we want work to be a nice place. And, and that's, and we want it to be a place where we can overcome things. Yeah. Um, but in reality where it hits home is in our home relationships. Yeah. And, and the, and the fascinating thing about that is that um, when my son passed away, I had a lot of gratitude for the fact that I did change at some point, right? Yeah. That I was able to see my son and, and see my other kids in a way in which I could have more meaningful relationships with them. Um, 
And so, so this, these philosophies and these, these ideas that Arbinger presents, you know, are things that are near and dear to my heart because yeah. I didn't know, like, you don't know sometimes when the, when you're, when these things happen, you don't know what timeline you have with people. Yeah. Um, but I do know that, that the relationship we had and the, the closeness and the connection, you know, really grew when I started to see my child more as a person mm-hmm. and not as an extension of me. Right. Um, I love. And, and so, yeah, so those are some of the personal experiences I had. No, I love, I love hearing, you know, how people were introduced to the content because it's so personal for people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've rarely met somebody that, that is, that loves Arbinger's material and just had a normal encounter with it. You know, it's, ends up being so transformative. And a lot of what you're saying resonates deeply with me personally, because when I, I was introduced to Arbinger when I was 18 and, uh, I, uh, went out to school in Hawaii and it was more than school to me. I was, I struggled with, uh, addiction for most of my teenage life. And it was, what it was for me was kind of getting away. I went out there to, to play collegiate soccer, but I mean, it, I was really trying to clean up my life and change my life in, in that way. I knew I needed to change, but I had no idea how. And, and I took this student development class and they had us read Anatomy of Peace. Of course, I didn't read a whole lot of it because I just was taking it for an easy A. But at, towards the end of the semester, right when season was over, we finally had free Saturdays, but they required us to go to this Outward Mindset workshop. Uh, and it wasn't even called Outward Mindset then, but that's really what it was. And uh, it was called The Choice. And uh, Chad Ford, um, who you probably know, was the one that was facilitating it. And uh, I didn't know anything else about Chad other than he was you know, an ESPN writer. I didn't know he had this old peace building, you know, Arbinger background. So I went to this event on a Saturday, I had to go for eight hours, pay 50 bucks and write a paper on it. And I was so upset that I had to be there. I go in this room, there's like 50, 60 other students and faculty in there and I'm sitting in the back. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to write, I'm just going to remember enough from this to write a, a stupid paper on this, you know? And I'm sitting in the back and Every break that we had throughout the day, I found myself finding a seat closer and closer to the front and finding myself intrigued and, you know, impacted by what was being discussed. And right now I couldn't go back and tell you all of the concepts that were being discussed. You know, I, I, now I know Arbinger's material enough that I have an idea, but I, I can't even remember what I was hearing. All I remember is how I felt. And by the end of the day, I was on the front row and I was listening to this story Chad was sharing and I remember thinking a couple of things. And the first thing I thought was, I have no idea what this Arbinger stuff is, but I want to do this one day. <laughs> that was my first thought. And the second thought was the transformative thought to me. It was what it must have been like or what it must be like to be my mother and to have been my mother growing up with a son like me, what it must have been like to be my father, what it must have been like to be my siblings, what it must have been like to be my friends, my coaches, my neighbors. And I never thought that before. I had never thought what it must be like to be others. Uh, I had always just been so about myself and what it was like to be Chris. I had never actually considered what it was like to be others and the impact that I had on them. And that was transformative to me. I mean, I, as an 18-year-old, I didn't really have the words to describe how I felt. Um, but it, and, you know, it started me on a journey of, of discovering about, more about myself and, and this idea of self-deception, of trying to unpack the fact that I was the problem that I was always frustrated about, always stressed about, right? The things that I would typically point and blame people for, 
you know, the reason why I had my problems, I, I realized that I, I can't, I can't keep doing that. And not only can I do, do I need to stop that, but I need to actually go and fix what I've done and start to heal relationships, mainly with my mother, mainly with my, my family. And so I, you know, you sharing that just, just reminded me of that first experience that I had very similar, just, and that's what I love about the content. And I appreciate, and yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up is it's just, it becomes transformative for people. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and we can't often measure, right? Like, where's the result? You know, so, you know our world, we're from a, a measurement world, right? Uh, of what results look like. But as an 18 year old to where you are today, what are all the results that come from that transformative lesson? Like for me being this 30 year old grad student to where I'm at today, yeah. like the results are immeasurable. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, I think often we are so result focused that we don't address the underlying issues that truly help us get the results we want. And, and I think that's what we do at Arbinger. We address the mindset. We address the underlying issues that motivate behavior, that motivate success. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's cool. It's a, it's a great place to work. It has its normal business challenges mm-hmm. and, and things like that that I think all businesses do. But to wake up in the morning and think, how can I help this organization see the impact of going through this process? Yeah. And then when they go through the process, come out of it like, man, like have a better relationship at work. I have a better relationship with my teenagers. Yeah. Like yeah. I just have better relationships. You're like, yeah, you see, <laughs> put measurement on that, put measurement on that five years from now. And so, so, and, and so I think, I think that's, that's, that's a part of, of my story is, is that I started to implement this uh, in my job when I was the community programming director for uh, the state of Utah for the Department of Corrections. I started training all my staff. I became a, um, I went through the courses, then I became a facilitator and I, and I trained all of my staff personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not an easy thing when you're the boss, no, right? No, not at all. And, and you got to go up there now and say, "Hey, like, I've been in work." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let, <laughs> yeah, and let me tell you how and why, and let me tell you what I want to do differently. And let's sit down. Let's let's ask these three questions with each other, and and I'm going to ask you, and and not only am I going to admit to to where I've been wrong, I'm going to admit to how I'm going to be right in the future. Yeah, and uh, I had some really strong-willed people because therapists are strong-willed. Oh my goodness, clinicians, therapists are some of the hardest-headed people on the planet. You know, <laughs> and, and, and I literally had these therapists look at me and say, "I get it. Like, like I get it. Like I know we. Thank you. Like I get it." One of the funniest experiences is is one of these guys, and I love him. He's a good. He's a good friend. Excellent clinician. He throws his arms up. He's like, okay, okay, fine, fine. Okay, I'll get my son the phone. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? He's been bothering me about the phone. And he's been talking about this, and I haven't wanted to do it. And, 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 and they're like, basically, he just saw his son as a person, right? Yeah. In a brief moment, yeah. I had one guy who was a correctional officer. And three hours into the course, he looked at me and said, Desmond, what am I supposed to do? Are you telling me I'm supposed to apologize to my ex-wife? <laughs> I said nothing about your ex-wife. Yeah. I said nothing about any of those things. 
it is transformative. People start to see their impact on others, and it can it's it's rough. Yeah, it's it's liberating but rough. Um, and so it, it's just neat to to be a part of those processes when you're when you're working with people and the light bulb comes on. Um, and uh, it's it's cool. It's a cool process. Yeah, it, it's a it's a it's really a journey for people as as even as they just go if they just go through the training and. You know, as a, as a facilitator as well, those moments that you're sharing are those are some of my favorite moments as well, where it just mm. clicks for people, and you have no idea what they're thinking about or what what they're dealing with. Everybody has, you know, a story and and baggage that they have, and just strangely they'll say, "I feel like I need to go and make a phone call to my wife or to my you know co colleague." Uh, and we're not in, I mean, there's a few times in the workshop where you invite people to do things like that, but there's so many moments where people develop that sense uh, to just act and, and do something um, differently. And I think that's, you know, an incredible part of the journey. Oh, no. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, it, it's the, that's the part I'm not afraid to wake up at four o'clock in the morning for and catch a flight somewhere to some part across the country. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I've even been up to Salem before, you know, catch a flight. Yeah, I know you came up here for us. I, yeah, I wasn't able to yeah. meet with you then, but yeah, you just you just know, you just know. Hey, this is this is a bit inconvenient, but tomorrow, you know, I'm going to be wearing my blue Arbinger shirt and I'm going to be getting after it. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be fun. So, uh, so yeah. No, that's awesome. Can you can you share it? Because you mentioned, you know, you use that word journey as well. And and when you work with organizations and individuals, I mean, for anybody that's listening that still is wondering what on earth we're talking about, can you tell us a little bit about that that journey? You know what it, what it sure. looks like and what sort of things on top of self deception that you you know you unpack with with people as they go through the curriculum. Yeah, well, well absolutely. Um, we talk about this 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 problem of self deception, and 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 the best way to look at it, we we've always used the frame of of being in the box. Mm -hmm. We've elaborated on that by also calling it now an inward mindset. And so an inward mindset simply means that I'm more self-focused. And if I have an outward mindset, I'm others inclusive. Mm -hmm. And and the distinction I have to make right out the bat is that this is not a Pollyanna process. Oftentimes, you know, when we think of seeing other people or being outward, we think, oh, all the people around me, all oh, the impact. No, for this to work, you have to still be seen, right? You have to still be a part of the process. So I'm really outward. I still have my hopes and goals and objectives. I just take others into account. Yeah. So we talk about that process of what it means to take others into account. That as I'm trying to accomplish my goals, how I can get a higher result by taking others into account. Mm. Um, they're, they're, the world is filled with self-focused people that accomplish a lot. Um, what Arbinger focuses on is, is that in your most difficult interactions and in your day-to-day -day actions, how can you improve through recognizing your impact on others and adjusting based upon that impact? Yeah. How can you improve your day-to-day -day relationships? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. And in the old, in the old days, Anatomy of Peace you know, they refer to this idea of outward and inward mindset to, they, they talk about way of being, but they also use the language that I love of heart at war versus yes. a heart at, heart at peace, mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I like that because like the term mindset, it digs so much deeper than 
than you know a, a behavior that I may deploy or um, you know something that I do uh, tangibly or physically uh, because and part of the the realization and and also the challenge because people hold on to this for a long time once they go through the content is is distinguishing between the two <laughs> you know I can yeah. I can I can really deceive myself by doing the right thing but doing it in the wrong way and I love the the, mm. the, the example I always use at the beginning of a workshop if I'm facilitating when I'm when we're talking about the distinction between mindset and behavior I talk about the you know I, I share saying sorry right everybody Everybody's been told once in their life or has told a child to go say you're sorry, but you can say you're sorry in one of two ways. One way, you don't have to mean it, but you say it. And so therefore you do the right thing. You say sorry, uh, but you do it in the wrong way. And, and the difference that it makes, you know, people feel it and you feel it. And, and so, you know, there's, there's something that's lying beneath, which you're, you know, you're addressing that, that ultimately determines our influence on others and ultimately determines you know, are, are the impact. And like you've mentioned already, the outcomes, the results, sometimes you can't see them right, right away. Sometimes you can, but I mean, they're, they're immeasurable. The, the, the change of, of results and outcomes that can happen when we start to really tune into this, this idea. Oh, oh absolutely. I, it reminds me of a, of a quick story about how, when you said hard at peace and hard at war, um, I've got, four, I have four kids and we're headed to church and, and we do it every couple of days. We're arguing on the way to church and we, and we stop and my wife's like, okay, we're at church. Time to, you know, time to be spiritual. Like put your smiling face on and let's go inside. Right. And I'm heated. Right. I'm heated. <laughs> my, my heart's at war. Like I'm heated. I'm just heated. And uh, I'm sitting down and like, I, like my kids around me and I'm kind of sitting next to my wife and I'm, I'm heated. Like I am at war and I'm, and you know, in moments like that, you start thinking about like life in general. And I start thinking about this very principle about what it means to have your heart at word, heart at peace. And I started to understand like, okay, what does a person at, what would a person at peace do in this moment? And so I reach over and I just grab my wife's hand, you know, I hold her hand. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to initially, you know, I'm at war. Right. So I go hold her hand and, uh, and the war inside of me, melts away right yeah quickly and the peace returns and and i think of that circumstance in all of my relationships like what are the things that a person at peace what would that person do in this moment mm -hmm. and if i'm willing to do those things how that war inside of me um subsides and melts away yeah and and I, I think these are the these are the processes like I mean, there's a technique to that, right? Mm -hmm. There's a technique to that. Um, and we teach that in our region. This isn't like something that you have to go through life wondering, how do I do how that? Do, I do it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are techniques. There's there's processes. There's principles that we can follow to get your heart in a place where you can have more meaningful relationships with the people you care most about. Yeah. Yeah, in, in Arbinger's old days, and some of their first material, they used to talk about getting out of the box the easy way and the hard way. And the easy way is when somebody's humanity is so overwhelming to us that we just, you know, we can't help but really see them as a person. And those are magnificent moments, and I treasure those moments. You know, when, I've, when something has happened or there's some circumstance where I deeply see another. And, but the, the challenge with that, like you're mentioning, is 
I live a life just hoping that those things happen, and I wonder how on earth can I make this happen more. But that's why that's what they used to call the hard way, which is now they have, you know, dozens of tools to actually help go about getting out the hard way. You know, having a heart at at peace. And I think in you know even in their outward leadership program, there's what like thirty something tools, <laughs> and those are yes. those are from a leadership standpoint, but they're all tools that help cultivate this idea of an outward mindset. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, what I've learned and, and it's neat. And, and you know, this, you, when you start becoming a facilitator of this stuff, you start to realize that the very underlying issues that changed you and help you learn more yeah. are still the underlying issues that are so needful in business and this corrections and public safety and like, like this capacity, right. Um, just think of the impact of going from a heart at peace and being able to operationalize that as a police officer. Yeah. That, that I, yeah, that I could have a heart where I'm seeing that person. I'm still seeing the danger that they possess, mm-hmm. but I'm also seeing the humanity that they possess and I'm operating through that full lens. Mm-hmm. If, if all they are is a problem, then all they are is a nail and I'm a hammer. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's really a, a transformative way of, of engaging this whole process. And like, and so, so that, that's the neat part when you, when you look at it from a position of, man, how can I help a police officer, a correctional officer? Um, some of these people who deal constantly with people who are struggling in society, mm-hmm. like how can we have impact put in that area? Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's a neat process to see like the very things that may help you overcome a difficult thing at home with your spouse, significant other could be the very thing that also helps you kind of heal that part of you in your day to day, uh, things that you do at work for sure. Yeah. One of the things I, I remember from the old choice handbook at the end and the implications of this, I continue to learn from because it's so it just is so deep, you know, when you really think about it. And it's there's a section that was called ways that don't work of getting out of the box, you know, and you go over these ways that that just don't work. Uh, and and all of them are, again, focused on just simply changing behavior rather than, you know, getting deep and changing mindset, changing our hearts. But there's this little quote at the end that I always think about, and this is what has major implications. And I may not say it word for word, but it's something like this. Anything that we think of from inside the box, so from inside an inward mindset, is just more of the box and therefore more of the problem. And mm. and that, I mean, I think about that all the time because, like you mentioned, whether you're a police officer, you're, you know, a, a business business person, you're a community member, and we think of, you know, we're we're we have a heart at war where where there's a challenge in front of us, you know, we're focused inwardly, and we come up with all sorts of creative solutions to fix the problem at hand. But if I'm inward during the whole thing, I'm just creating more of the problem, even if it's the right thing, even if I'm doing what I was told to do, even if I'm doing what I was taught to do, and they might be the right thing to, to deploy. If I'm doing it from an inward mindset, I'm just adding to the problem. And that has major implications uh, when, I, when I think about it and, and just kind of go down that rabbit hole of all the times that I thought I was doing the right thing, because on paper it was, but inside it was, it was still the wrong way. And Therefore, I was just making things harder for not just for myself, but for others around me. And it's just oh, and 
It's endless. Oh, no, you bring up that. Yeah, no, you bring up that point. And I've had a lot of people like, hey, Desmond, you love this stuff. You're like a corporate traveler guy. Like, have <laughs> you heard about. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, have you heard about this new book or that new book? Or uh, there's this book about accountability. There's this book about. And I'm like, hey, it's all good. Yeah. If you have the right mindset, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, sure that in it's again. all good. Hey guys, I love the books. I've read many of those books. They're all good. But if I, I can be the best communicator in the world and have a mindset that draws everyone away. Yeah. And, and I've seen it. I've seen such brilliant people be isolated and alone and they know not why. Mm-hmm. And, and when you start to talk about how, People have that sense. Like I have a sense of your authenticity. Yeah, I can sense it. So you can communicate any way you want, but I have a sense of your mindset, which equals your authenticity. And so I'm going to be truer to that sense than to the things that are coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's just—it's so impactful. It just—it it makes me pause. Um, I pause, especially on social media nowadays. I'm like, how do you do it? How do you communicate with people? I'm like, I pause. I have to pause. Because if I don't pause, there's something going to come out that's angry and frustrating. And, and just, I need to pause and say, okay, this person may not see things the way you do. How can you impact them in a way that's meaningful? Yeah. And, and you have to pause nowadays because there's so much divisiveness in everything we see. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's just, that mindset, like before you've engaged anything, really addressing it is important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how, I mean, how long, uh, how long do you typically work with, with groups? I mean, just as a, as a consultant, because I know there's a headache from other facilitators and consultants I've heard at Arbinger's. They, they go in at the beginning, and, but they sometimes they don't get to see things through. So, tell, I mean, do you have experience on both ends where you, you, you go in? I mean, like you did in Salem, you know, you came and did a workshop for us. You have great experiences with the folks there, but then you maybe never connect with them again. And then other times I'm sure you spend more time with a, with an organization. I mean, what's the dynamic in, in both of those settings? Yeah, I think, I think right now I'm working with one of the largest um, correctional facilities in the country. And I'm working with them from executive coaching to facilitation, to training facilitators, to, to working with the executive staff and working with key dilemmas in their organization. And that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's hard work. There's days where I doubt myself when I wake up in the morning and think, how am I going to be able to, but, but we come out of it, you know, the, the old Arbinger saying from uh, Michael is I call him the Yoda. He's my Yoda. <laughs> yeah. um, when he was training me, he would always say, just, just lean on the principles. Don't lean on yourself, Desmond. Like you're a good facilitator. You talk well. You can sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo. But lean on lean into the principles. The principles. Mm-hmm. Lean on the principles. And and so 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 in that sense, like it's been amazing to work with these organizations down to the deeper depths of the level and help them resolve things through these principles. Um, and then it's also fun to engage an organization like when I went to Salem, there was like maybe eight different organizations in the same room. Yeah. All, all with the same dilemmas, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you speak to those dilemmas and you're helping them create new ways of engaging their work, that's fun too. Yeah. Um, and so, so it is kind of nice. There is benefits. It's not so much pressure packed. When I go in and do the two day stuff, 
I go in, you know, we're all excited, we learn stuff, we engage, we, we exchange notes, and we roll out. It's hard when you're knee deep in the institutional structure of an organization and you're helping them use these principles to evoke real-time change. That's rewarding, but it is hard. Yeah, It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder than just being a facilitator, for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. You get into the you get into the weeds, and and yes, and yes, it, it becomes challenging for sure. I like what mm-hmm. you shared, you know, with Michael Azan, um, uh, and I know Michael, but you know, lean in, lean onto the mater- on the material. One thing that Jim Farrell, um, former managing managing um, partner at the Arbinger Institute, for any you know, I know you know that, but others. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one thing he said once that really stuck with me, he was talking about facilitating, but I think it applies in general, especially as leaders. He said, you just have to jump out onto the crowd, not literally, but, you know, just put, throw yourself onto the crowd, onto the audience and hope that they'll catch you. Uh, and what, what, he meant, what he meant by that, you know, was again, not literal, but you got to be vulnerable and you just got to be okay with what you just shared of some mornings you wake up and do you feel can I really do this or am I, you know, am I doing the right thing? I mean, those are all part of the human experience and, and everybody else deals with it. And, uh, it's funny. We, we put on these, these facades of trying to be seen as somebody that we're, we're not an Arbinger gets into that, right? The way that these, these self justifying images that we carry around and how much they just get in the way. I mean, they really, mm-hmm. they really become destructive. Yeah, so, for sure. It- and you have to, um, and I think the beauty of, of not being an expert, like Arbinger's really methodical about, if anything, helping people recognize that you struggle with these principles. Maybe being an expert in struggling with the principles. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be an expert in something, is being able to understand how on a day-to-day basis you you struggle with with these principles. And so I, I think that's 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 awesome. Yeah. Um, because you don't have to come off as an expert. And and when people are like, what about this? What about that? And you're sitting there like, you know what? What about that? I struggle with that. Let's talk about it. They're like, oh, <laughs> like, oh. it kind of kind of catches them off guard. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, uh, and, and so presenting yourself as a person that's in the process and they can come join you. And I, and I think that's yeah, I, I like yeah, Jim Farrell. I was I was fortunate enough, like when when they were interviewing me for this job, I, I go in there and uh, I I was fanboying fanboying on it pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. And it's the first interview I've ever had where I just broke down in tears. Right, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm crying in this job interview. Well, oh, thank you for the impact in my life. You know that type of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I guess they're not gonna hire me. <laughs> but but um. I think there's something like really like it's neat to to work for an organization um, that expects you to be imperfect, that expects you to to utilize that imperfection to help others. You know, yeah. in that way, it's pretty impactful and powerful. You know, it's, it's very impactful. Yeah. One sure. time, uh, you know, speaking of of just these, you know, uh, these images that we carry. One time. Uh, Jim and I, we went to this event up in Park City. It was just him, him and myself. And I was driving, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a drive from from the office. And and you know, I treasured that time with him. But one one thing that he said to me that I always think about, uh, he said, and I can't remember how we got on this topic, but he said, Chris, 
there's a couple ways to live life. So the first way is we're constantly concerned and worried about our image. And we're either, that, that is manifested in two ways. We're either defending threats to that image or looking for reinforcements for that image. He said, that's one way to live life. And it's overwhelming, stressful, and it's hard. He said, the other way to live life is to not worry about any of those things and get lost in the needs of others around you. <laughs> and I was like trying to make a mental note. You know, I'm trying to act cool in the car right then, trying to concern about my image. But inside I'm thinking, wow, I got to remember that. Um, and that was you know, one of many just treasured interactions that I was able to have with him and many others um, there that, that are imperfect, but strive to, to live that principle of throwing themselves you know, uh, on others and, and being okay with not being perfect. Um, and I uh, think we definitely need a more, more of that. Um, I want to just backtrack a little bit and talk about, just share with you one of our guiding frameworks that we have uh, here at, at, within the Leadership Institute, within Groundwork. And it's where outward mindset has its biggest implications for us. And so we use this analogy that we believe is important and we we frame it around the analogy of soil seeds and weeds you know like gardening we're not gardeners we're not farmers but we believe that that framework is just really helpful in helping people understand the dynamics around them personally in their organization especially in the community and the way we describe soil you know we define it as people the soil are the people it's us it's others in our organization it's others in the community and so when there's problems with soil it's really the problems within people and all the different systems and structures and processes that people create. And, and the, de- the determining factors of when soil is healthy or not are exactly what we've been talking about. And this is when this idea of seeing people and mindset is so important because the determining factor, we believe, is, how, is mindset, is how people see one another. And of course, that's manifested through behaviors and, and the indicators are things like culture and climate. And you can assess those things organizationally. But what I wanted to get to was how we define cultivating soil, because soil is going to be how it is. You know, you look in an organization, it is what it is day to day. People are how they are, and they show up one way or the other. They show up and they are outward, or they show up and they're inward, or they go back and forth moment to moment, and it is what it is. I mean, you can't really change how it is in the moment, So we ha- which means we need to end up cultivating. We need to do something about it. And so we, you know, within our rooted content, we talk about how to how to cultivate it. And in like episode two or something of our podcast, I dive into this, but I wanted to bring it up with you and, and get your thoughts on it and, and the implications that the Outward Mindset material has on it. But there's three levels to cultivating the soil. And the first one that we, we talk about, it's the, in the very top, the surface level of the soil, and we call it breaking up the soil. And we call it, uh, what we really are meaning is accountability. And it's self-accountability, meaning that we have to be the one willing to change first that I need to be the first to change, especially as leaders. I need to be the first to change. And that's not an easy thing to do because it's really easy to point fingers at others and see how they need to change. But that's the most important thing in, in just starting to cultivate in general. You got to break it up. You got to break up the soil. You got to be first, be willing to change first. And then the second level is, is rooted in, in what outward mindset gets to, which is seeing people. That's the second level. We call it fertilizing the soil. And it, what we mean by that is seeing people. It's the very same principles that Arbinger teaches, you know, being, being responsive to others around us, seeing their humanity. Uh, but we go, we go a, a level deeper. And this is, a, this is a level that I would certainly see people get to as they navigated the outward mindset curriculum. 
they definitely could get here. Um, but we talk about it very intentionally as something that leaders must be able to do. And we call it, you know, we call it digging deeper and we call it deeply seeing people. And so we make this, you know, we try to make this distinction between seeing people and deeply seeing them. Seeing people being, I can see your humanity. I don't always have to like you. Um, I certainly don't have to love you, right? And love is a big word because there's so many meanings for love, but I can be responsive to your needs in the moment and I can care, right? I can see that you need this. I can be responsive, um, especially with people we work with or strangers, right? I mean, it, there's, there, we, we can see others in that way. But way we, the way we talk about deeply seeing is it becomes this sense of seeing others as beloved, you know, as actually worthy of something like our love and, and that we can choose to really love others. And I'm not talking about the easy type of love, you know, like the romantic love or the love that, um, you know, is that you have for a, an, a dog, you know, it's really easy to love your pet. You know, there's this sort of love, there's a friendship type of love, but there's this deeper sense of love. And Chad, now that we've talked, we've talked about him, Chad Ford, his book, you know, Dangerous Love, it's that sort of love where we love people even when it's not easy to love them. And uh, we see past all the imperfection. And when we see their humanity, we see a both ends of it. We see the very best, but we see the very worst. And we, we are okay with it. We don't, we don't excuse the worst. We don't make up reasons and, and give them a pass, but we just see it. And, and so we talk about this deepest level of deeply seeing and the implications that that has uh, as a leader. And we, we lean on four principles from the Aspen Institute you've probably heard of. And the first one that they, they talk about and we think that when we believe that people that deeply see have these four qualities, and the first one is they're rooted in, they have a why, they have a sense of purpose of what they, why they do what they do. And not, not like as a career, sure, there might be implications there, but it doesn't matter what career they have, they know why, why they're here and what they're doing. Um, and the second one is, is to be willing to explore social, you know, social, social space, to be, get out of our comfort zone, to, to be willing to to be amongst others, even when it might be uncomfortable and to go outside of our typical paradigm. And we see a lot of a need for that now with this racial tension of, are we willing to explore this social space and see and listen and understand? And then the third one, the third principle is being emotionally transparent and not necessarily wearing your emotions on your sleeve, but being okay and noticing what holds us back and doing something about it. And then lastly, the last principle that they talk about, which we believe is imperative for deeply seeing others, is using our suffering well. We all suffer, but using it well, using it as a not as something that breaks us and holds us down, but something that actually breaks us open and allows us to be vulnerable, allows us to 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 really let others in and for us to to get in, right? And so that's that's how we talk about cultivating soil. And it's in, our, it's in our rooted curriculum, but I wanted to share that with you and get your thoughts just in your knowledge uh, and your experience, you know, discussing outward mindset. What are the, what are the strong implications that you initially recognize as, you're, as I'm explaining that to you? No, no, I, I think it was, that's amazing. I think the last four principles are, empower, are so impact, impactful. Like, I, I hate, you know, I'm a part of this, uh, this crappy club where your child commits suicide, right? We need death by suicide. We, we call it the, the suckiest club on the planet. Yeah. Um, we struggled for many months on the capacity of what it means to find purpose mm-hmm. right, in, in that type of struggle. And we created a uh, Facebook page called Illuminating Unity. 
and the Instagram page where we share thoughts about social justice, which is was important for our son that passed away. Yeah. Um, um, and and we we help to educate people regarding the importance of seeing people as people. Um, so so the ability to find something to to let uh, let your your difficulties expand you. Um, I'm a different person. Like my capacity to love has is definitely more enriched, and so that's amazing. What we say, what I say in my facilitate Harbinger is like. Anybody can be outward when it's easy, right? Yeah. I can be outward towards my grandma. You know, mm-hmm. my grandma loves me no matter what. I can be outward towards my puppy. My puppy's magnificent, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, I have a brand newborn, it, and it's really easy to be outward to a two-month-old. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. But it's very difficult to be outward with people who feed that justification mm-hmm. to be inward. Inwardness is intoxicating. Yeah. And inwardness is like a fine wine. I've heard many people say, hey, Desmond, I ain't gonna lie. I love being inward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so intoxicating. Um, you know, there's a part of it in, in being outward that really requires a lot of effort. Uh, when you talk about digging deeper in deeper parts of the soil, that's the part where, where people start to go, hey, man, I can see how this would impact me in this particular situation. And then it doesn't work, right? Yeah. <laughs> they they try one of the skills. They try this together. Mm-hmm. Dust efforts measure impact. It doesn't work. And then what I found out was is that I was turning the soil a little bit, but just enough to feel that I'm working. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to get deep enough into that soil to realize that I was still inward in the process, right? Yeah. I was still, I was digging, I was digging, hoping that things would change, right? I was, I was, I was trying to be outward, hoping other people would see my outwardness and join me. Yeah. Instead of digging deep enough to recognize, hey, if I just prep this soil properly and I get to the proper depth, um, then I've done my work, Mm -hmm. right? Who, who and what and who I'm inviting people to, to see me and see others and, and join the outward train. That is my work. My work is not to measure the results that come from it. And so and so I think it's important like when you talk about that and it's, and it's, it's profound. You guys have done a wonderful job that we talk about this importance of simply being outward, mm-hmm. simply digging to the proper depths without expectation. Yeah. That is the highest level of outwardness. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just I'm I'm gonna be outward. I'm gonna see my 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 teenager in this way, and I'm not worried about results. Um, I'm gonna see this fellow employee or this project in a way where I'm gonna do it the best I can, and I'm gonna take others into account. Yeah, and and it's more about how we are, our way of being, than what we expect from that way of being. And I think that's, that to me, that's when we start talking about that deeper soil dive, is that we're just simply being not worried about where it's going to take us. Yeah. Just knowing it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and that's so, that's so important. Just that idea of committing to being that way. And, and I've always found a funny paradox in outward mindset because when I, when I'm actually outward, it's when I become alive to my inward mindset, (laughs) you know, it's like a, it's like an interesting paradox. I'm I'm outward when I'm alive to my inwardness, uh, and and so it's 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 not a fixed 
thing that you you enter and you sign an agreement and you're I'm outward now all the time and it's moment to moment. One moment I can be inward, one moment I can be outward, but that commitment, I love that idea because for us cultivating the soil, it doesn't stop. It it's always happening. And if you want to plant a seed and you want a new idea, you're going to do a new initiative or launch a new product. If you're doing that in some unhealthy soil, it's not going to work. It's not going to last. It's not going to take root. And so therefore the soil continues to need attention. And then there's the weeds, the conflict, the problems, the challenges that organizations and people face. And the weeds, it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, and I, you know, we, my wife and I have this garden and we love it, but it's not like you, you prepare the soil at the beginning of the season and you plant all your stuff and the weeds never show up again. I mean, they're there all that they pop up. And, mm-hmm. and so there's a, this constant need to weed. And then there's some, and you probably work a lot, you know, with organizations or communities like this, where the soil is so overrun by weeds that, I mean, it, there's a lot of work ahead. Uh, and, and we first have to address these nasty weeds and get, get them at the root before we can even start to get the soil healthy enough for anything to work, for any new initiative or new idea to work. And so I, I, I think that idea of continual, a continual desire to be outward, you know, resonates with our same principle of we always need to cultivate. There's never a time where we can just stop cultivating, especially as leaders. And I, I, think, I think that's the leader's number one job is to always be cultivating the soil of their organization. And, 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 and I agree. And, and I think it's hard to cultivate if you don't have accountable people around you. Mm-hmm. So the process of helping to create accountable people instead of holding people accountable gives you this capacity to cultivate. Yeah. Um, and cause, cause now through, through very effective accountability and reporting, um, I can then use that institutional knowledge and, and all the background and experience I have. I can pass that to helping the people below me and, and, and helping to increase their accountability instead of always being the person that's got to fix the problem because people don't see things the way I do. Yeah. That's great. Um, we're coming up on an hour and I think you've, you've definitely added to our, you know, institutional knowledge that we're trying to just, um, gain as we, you know, start this podcast and as we continue to, to have more and more cohorts go through our, you know, leadership Institute. But I, I wanted to ask you, you know, one or two more questions really about leadership and, you know, go, go, go with this where you, where you would like, but I'm just curious on what, 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 what would be your biggest message to, to leaders, whether they're an emerging leader, you know, just starting out or a seasoned leader. I mean, what, what is a message that you would have to them that transcends, you know, their, their, their time, their experience as a leader or their organization that they're a part of the community that they're in? I mean, what would be your message? I know that's a big question. And so you don't have to answer it in one sentence, but what would be your message? Wow. I mean, what's next? World hunger? Is that the next question? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> solve that. Uh, you, you know what? That's, that's an amazing question. And the impressions I have or the things that come to me is the best leaders are transparent. Hmm. Um, they don't need to be seen as anything. Renee Brown says it beautifully when she says, don't be small. Don't be large, right? Like I said, don't be so small that you have to operate a certain way. We call that worse than. Don't be bigger than everybody or you got to be better than. Like be in that place where you can be seen as a person 
doing your best and operating in a way to help the people around you. Um, I think there's that space there that that people can see you for what you are and who you are. And then they have a choice to follow you. Yeah. They choose to follow you instead of trying to create create uh, a system where people have to follow you. Yeah. You create a system where people are choosing to follow you. And, and, and I've learned um, whether we talk about effective businesses to social injustice. If you're not addressing systems, you're not getting to the root of the issue. Yeah. It's just nice. If you're just doing you're just doing nice work. All you're doing work or your type of work you do is nice. But if you're not addressing systems, if you're not looking at the systematic structure regarding why things aren't working, then you're just you just you're just simply scratching the surface. And so look at your systems. Um, look at your capacity to do your, your job and, and are people really willing to follow you? And I, and I think I think if you're be somewhere between those two spots, I think it's hard to fail. I think it's really hard to fail. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and accounting for others. Yeah. So when you're addressing that system, right, you're accounting for others. You're accounting for the people you impact. Mm-hmm. Right? So so being being willing to be in a place where you can be seen and be yeah. transparent, um, being able to address the systems that that are creating your issues or solving your problems and then having the ability to, to measure that impact. Like where in the course of the things I'm doing in my organization of people I'm working with, what's working. And, and when things aren't working, being like, Hey, that's not working. Yeah. And I can see my part in that and I'm sorry. And how do we fix this? How do we move forward? I think, I think all of that is just good stuff for leadership. Yeah. I love that. Uh, it reminded me quickly a couple of years ago, Chip, you know, he, he spoke at a, uh, one of our, you know, he was a, one of the end speakers at Arbinger Summit annual summit, and he spoke on leadership. And he gave three principles that he feel that he feels are the most important for leaders. And the first is see people, um, which we've been talking about today. The second was tell the truth, and his last one was what you said: be transparent. Um, and he feels like those are the most important things that that leaders can do. And Ooh, wow! Yeah, it was also I was also reminded um, there's a leader here locally in our community that said something once that I you know, I think about, I made note of, he said, if you're too big for a small job, then you're too small for a big job. (laughs) I love that. Right. That's fantastic. Keeps us grounded. Well, I appreciate, you know, your time today. This has been incredibly insightful and and inspiring for me. Just, just learning from you and, and speaking with you and just hearing your experience. Um, I've been, you know, I've been touched by it. I want you to know that. And I appreciate your time. And I, I appreciated our time yesterday uh, on the phone, just, you know, discussing and prepping for this. Um, that was really uh, a blessing to me as well. So I thank you for that. And and I'm sure that our paths will cross a number of times as we both are, you know, we're both part of the Arbinger family, if you will. Um, but I just want to just want to say thank you. And and uh, I, I, I love everything that you're up to. Oh, thank you, Chris. And I appreciate your time. Awesome. It was was wonderful spending time with you. All right. Well, that was incredibly insightful to be able to learn from Desmond, to hear his insight, his experience. I'm, again, extremely grateful that he was able to give up his time and contribute more to our our institute here in, in terms of sharing his knowledge. But thank you again for joining the Rooted Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Chris Panetta. Until next time, take care. Be safe.